Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. We'll read the whole chapter here this morning. Amos chapter 8. We'll start at verse 1 and read through the whole chapter. It says, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small, and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works. They shall, shall not the land tremble for this, and every one mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in a clear day, and I will turn your feasts into mourning, and your songs into lamentation. And I will bring, upon, bring up sackcloth upon all loins, and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the mourning of our only son, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of God, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. They that swear by the sin of Samaria, and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Beersheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have this morning. That as we come now to thy word, may our hearts and minds be focused on thee. May the cares and distractions of this world be so easily and set aside for now. May our focus be on thee and thee alone. May our hearts and minds be yielded vessels in thy hands to use your word to mold us and shape us into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray that for that one that may be lost, we do ask that you would minister to their heart. May they see their need of Christ and Christ alone. May they be wondrously born again this morning before they leave. We thank you that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you please. And to that end, we rest content that you are and will be at work this morning. May we be yielded vessels that we may see that working change us moment by moment, day by day. 
Bless now this time that we have in thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. In the context of our passage this morning, Amos has been sent to Israel to let them know that they're under God's judgment. We go back in time. This is the divided kingdom. So this is the northern ten tribes that he's discussing and talking to. And in about 60 years from the time of Amos's writing, they will be taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And they will never come back as a nation. It's one of those times that you read in the scriptures, and I find it really a, a dark time, a sad time. When we stop to consider that it was avoidable. It's one of the most lamentable things to read about, whether it be other history, whether we read the history in, in our scriptures, to realize that it could have been avoided. They need not go into captivity. God had sent them prophets to turn them back, but they listened not. Now, we as a nation, our own nation, we're not like Israel of old. The promises that we find there for them are not for us. But we can learn from the principles that are taught. As Amos speaks to them, he lets them know that there is a famine in the land that God will send. Not a famine of food and water, but a famine of the word of God. Stop and think about that for a moment. What would life be like without the Word of God? How impacted would our lives be? I wonder as you look at Amos and then in that time and realize that 60 years later in 722 BC, they're going to be taken into captivity. This thought of having a famine, of having no word, and realizing, again, we know the history. We're not Amos looking forward to an upcoming captivity. We're centuries removed from it, looking back and realizing it did happen. And we see the impact or the lack thereof of these various prophets prophesying to the nation of Israel and nothing happening. These that heard these words seemingly could care less. There's going to be a famine of the word of God? Oh well. They were all wrapped up with getting by and around and away from the word of God. As we find out earlier in this chapter, it was, when will the new moon be over so that we can go about our business? When will the Sabbath day be over so that we can go back and about our business? Yeah, it's restrictive where we can't go out and work on Saturday. Following that law of God, yeah, yeah, yeah. When can we get this done so that we can go out and do the things that we want to do? We deceive folks. We make our ephah small and we make our shekel great. We put our hand on the balance. I think there's an old Norman Rockwell of a, a meat counter, a butcher shop, and you see 
the, the customer and the butcher doing different things with the scale. Uh, the butcher trying to add more weight while the customer is trying to lift it up. That's what's being noted here. They were being deceptive. God had already told them to have just weights and just talents and just measurements. Not to edge and not to counter and not to downsize. Uh, an ephod was an ephod. It wasn't another measurement. When we stop to consider our own nation, we were founded on the Bible and biblical principles. I wish that we're still taught today within our schools about the founding of our nation. Not all of them were believers. I'm not of that group that likes to try to Christianize every founding father. Some of them were not truly born-again believers. But they understood and respected the Bible and acknowledged that it was a great foundation upon which to build a nation. The principles and truths that are here are enduring. They're good. They're sound. And they sought to live accordingly. Unfortunately, those things are often just ignored. They're ridiculed and maligned. As such, the biblical influence, I dare say, to a large extent, is waning. As we read earlier, John Adams noted, we should have this as a solemn day to remember what God has done for us. Apart from a church setting, I don't know of any 4th of July celebration that I recall in the realm of the, of the United States where we have, as a nation, taken time to respect and remember our God. Now, maybe it's been done in the past. I mean, I'm not 246 years old to know every celebration year that's come along. But I stop and think through the things that I've been through, been a part of, and I don't recall any invocation to thank God for what he has done to bring about this nation. And I say that with the knowledge of knowing that in 1976, at the bicentennial celebration, I was on Andrews Air Force Base, enjoying a 4th of July celebration with an air show that was second to none. And never recalling the invocation of God in that great celebration of our 200th anniversary as a nation. When yet it could have. But it wasn't. May there not be truly a famine in our land. God declared in the Psalms, he noted, said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And then Psalm 144, he said, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. That's referring to any nation, not just Israel. We sometimes forget that, I think, as believers, that the Old Testament, oh, that's just for Israel, that it's only referring to Israel. No, there's a lot that's referred to 
the rest of the nations and their responsibility to come and acknowledge God. And we see that noted here that this thought of turning to God as a nation is a blessed thought. It is a good one. And it is a necessary one. As we consider our own times, and as we look at this thought of a famine in the land, a nation without the Bible is without freedom. Again, our founding fathers understood the scriptures. They understood the truths that are there and the fact that it can be and should be a founding document, if you will, for the nation. One to live by. Now we'll have those that say, well, there were a bunch of slave owners back then. And they weren't dealing with this issue. No, they were dealing with the issue. And they were struggling with it. It would help us if we actually read about their lives to see that, yes, men like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and others, particularly in the South, were struggling with that issue and would continue to struggle with that issue. But they understood the truths there and were working towards doing what they could. They were imperfect people just like we are imperfect people. Sometimes I think people like to look down their noses and think that somehow they're better than those of the past without putting themselves in that position in the past. Walking a mile in their shoes, so to speak, and thinking through the implications we make it sound like it's so easy if they would have just let them go, just freed them, everything would have been all right. It doesn't quite work that way. But a nation without the Bible is without freedom. Our founders understood that. God understands that. He notes in John chapter 8, verse 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What a joy to have that, fellow believers, this morning. We have a freedom in Christ that is so wonderful. As we've noted, we're free from the power of sin in our lives, from the penalty of sin because of what Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary, bearing in his own body our sin, so that we wouldn't have to. A nation without the Bible is without freedom. A people without the Bible is without freedom. We have it because of what he has said. Horace Greeley, person of our past, had noted this. It is impossible to enslave, mentally or socially, a Bible-reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. Profound thoughts to stop and ponder. Is it any wonder then that tyrants hate the Bible? Is it any wonder that tyrants that we have seen through the ages have sought to persecute, to remove the book that we hold and cherish in our laps? 
from their societies, from the people that espouse it to be silenced? Why? Because they understand the freedom that comes with the understanding of this book. History has revealed to us that the Bible brings freedom. We see it within our own nation. We see God's preservation of us as a nation. As those men signed that Declaration of Independence, wondering, truly wondering, how long they were going to live. Because they knew by doing so, they became marked men. And indeed they were. And they were hunted down. We would have a war that would rage until finally God brought Britain to its knees. We have Cornwallis signing the surrender. That's in 1783. Are the British done with us yet? Not exactly. We will have another war with Britain in just a few decades. One that will inspire our Star-Spangled Banner. As Francis Scott Key is, on a, is a prisoner of a British ship in the harbor of Baltimore, wondering whether or not Fort McHenry would survive the night, only to find that it had. And the American flag was still waving free above it. And he would pen the poem that we sing as the Star-Spangled Banner. Our nation is going to be ravaged just a few more decades as brother fights brother over the Civil War. We'll be involved in other wars along the way, fight in two world wars, wondering if we can survive as a nation on the principles of freedom. I mean, again, we are looking back and seeing the whole future, and we rejoice that, yes, the forces of right won. Think particularly of World War II. To read some of those that were on the cusp of it, you watch Hitler's war machine just plow over nations. Until the summer of 1940, there's nobody left but a tiny island called England. And Winston Churchill is brought into power. Neville Chamberlain's workings didn't exactly work out so well. And he reminds the British Empire, we'll never surrender. And still their resolve, begging for America for anything and everything. From then until we entered. But with that understanding, as, as even Churchill wrote, I think somewhat prophetically, but understanding that should the island disappear, there's the greater empire that is still there. And there is the new world.
referencing America. That there may be hope yet for freedom to survive in the world. We have the Bible. It has brought us freedom. May we live in a nation that seeks to have truly solid Bible preaching to keep us alert to freedom's values. I realize as we look over our landscape, a lot has changed. There are fewer and fewer pulpits that actually stand and have people declare this word boldly, openly, and without excuse. Go back a hundred years, reading of some of our religious history, and find that during World War I, there were a thousand evangelists that crisscrossed our nation preaching the gospel. My mind is boggled by that. A thousand evangelists that were preaching the gospel. If I stop and think, I will be lucky if I come across ten that I know of that are preaching the gospel clearly, distinctly, unashamedly. Men that we could have come into our pulpit. Maybe there are more. I mean, I'm not, I'm not all-knowing. But I am hard-pressed. Many of those that I knew have passed on to heaven. That's part of the problem that I have. But it's like, I don't know that we even come close to having that many men who openly proclaim the word of God, uncompromisingly. A Bible reading people will help keep freedom alive because we understand the truths that God is teaching us as we read this book. Again, as Horace Greeley noted, it is impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible reading people. Why? Because we have our nose in this book reading the truths that are here. Seeing it for ourselves, understanding those truths and seeking to understand them will not be enslaved because we know the truth and the truth has set us free. A nation without the Bible is without, truly without foundations. Not only is it without freedom, but it is without foundations. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We know that account. 
we know that we need a firm, solid foundation to build upon. And we have it in this book that we hold in our laps. It is a firm and solid, sound foundation. A life or land built on the Bible stands, as we've already noted. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. How do we know about the Lord? We know about the Lord through the book that is in our laps. And as we open its pages, as we read the truths that are there, we learn what He has for us and what He wants for us and how to live for Him. And it is truly a blessed life. It's not a life without problems, if you will. It's not a life of ease, but it truly is a joyous life as we look to Him. When you stop to consider what is going on in our world, apart from the Bible, there are no absolutes. Our world has become relative. It's my truth. And my truth is for me. And it may not be your truth. You may have your own truth. And for the most part, they're okay with that, unless, of course, your truth goes directly against their truth. I have yet to figure that out. It's, it's okay to have different truths, but as long as your truth doesn't contradict my truth. You Christians who believe the Bible and that sins are sins and some sins are not acceptable, well, we just can't have that. Well, what happened to your truth being yours and my truth being mine? And somehow both being acceptable to both of us. You see, they understand that the ridiculousness of that. You can't have one people say, well, the light's red, I will go anyway. Because I think the red means go. And so when that light's red for me, I'm just going to go through it because that's my truth and that's how I believe it. And I'm going to live like that. And I've seen quite a few people do that <laughs> around our country. Seen far too many people run red lights knowing that they could have stopped. But that truth is disastrous, is it not, at an intersection? Because the other people have the green light and they are going. So if all four directions are going at the same time, we have a problem in the middle. And somebody's truth is not right. It doesn't work. It creates chaos. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of that unfolding. But we have a firm foundation with the Word of God that we can stand on. We can point people to. There may be some getting disillusioned with the craziness that is going on. We can point them to the true foundation, this book. You want a compass? You want solidity under your feet? Come to the Word of God. Learn the truths that are here. And you'll find that firm foundation. A nation without the Bible is without faith. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
We can point them to God and His truth that is here. It is faith in God and His Word. It is a joy to read of some of those in history, and, and Brother Bruce brought it up in Sunday school this morning, about those free thinkers and others who have thought to discredit the Bible and have gone into an earnest and open search to try to discredit it, only to find the truthfulness of it. As he was noting, he was referring to Sir William Ramsey, who, as Bible believers, have joyed and rejoiced in his books that he has written because he did just that. He went searching and found that, oh, I was wrong. The thinking of the lost is wrong, that this Bible is actually true. The things that it depicts are true. The merits of it are true. Its demands on it are true. And he came to Christ. Lew Wallace, a northern general from the Civil War, did the same thing. Similar things. And came to Christ. And as a result, writes Ben-Hur, the life of Christ. Because he didn't believe in its truthfulness. And sought it out. And found that he needed his head adjusted. Because it is true. God gives that faith to understand and believe. Paul describes this problem within his own nation. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. He says, Brethren... My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What a joy to have faith founded in God and His Word, knowing that it is a firm and solid foundation and that we are free in Christ to live as He pleases, not as we, but as He desires us to live. The Bible imparts all of that. What a wonderful book to read. What a wonderful book to share with others who truly are looking for the things that we find in this book. We can shake our heads, we can exhaust our words, if you will, at looking at the, the craziness that is around us. But they are searching for that which we have. They may not always understand it, but they're searching for peace. They're searching for acceptance. They're searching for all sorts of things that we can repoint them to the scriptures and say, here, come to Christ. You want peace? He gives the peace that passeth all understanding. You want acceptance? Come to Christ and know him as your Savior, and we are all one in Christ. Bondmen free, doesn't matter. 
Rich, poor, doesn't matter. We're all the same in Christ. The ground is level before the cross. God saves any and all who will come. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. One in Him. All those things that they look for, we find in the Scriptures and can point them to it. It is up to them to accept or reject the truth that is there. May there not be a famine in our lives of this book. We need it. More today than we've ever needed it before. The world needs it more today than they've ever needed it before. Whether they realize it or not. May we stand upon it. May we share it with those around us. Because there is a famine. And we have the food. May we freely give it. It's inexhaustible. It'll feed the whole world. But may we not be famished because we've not taken time to be in God's word ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning. We've taken time to remember the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he robed himself in human flesh. He came so that he might die on the cross of Calvary, bearing our sins in his own body on that tree. Father, that's not the end of the story. Yes, he was buried. His body was placed in the grave, dead. But Father, three days later, he rose, victorious over sin, death, and hell. Not for himself, but for us. He was the God-man. God robed in human flesh. Death could not keep him. And the means of salvation for a lost mankind was accomplished in Christ. And Father, if we will but believe, acknowledge that yes, we are sinners before a holy God, but that Christ died in our place for our sins, we can be saved. A new life can be imparted to us, Christ's life. I thank you that you brought that message. And most, if not all of us in this auditorium, have received that message by faith, believing that Christ died in our place for our sins. And we thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. A life built on a firm foundation, a life of freedom to live for you as you desire us to do. A life of faith. Our, fi our eyes are focused on thee, guiding us through this life that is before us. Father, I pray for that one that may be here lost. Draw them unto thee this morning. May they not leave till they have the assurance that their sins have been forgiven. That they've been washed and made white as snow. 
Father, may we take to heart that we need thy word. We need not be famished because we've not been in thy book. Father, may we be there daily, reading, sustaining our lives in thee, joyfully nourished, so that we may boldly shine forth the truth of thy word to a lost and dying world that is in great need of it. Truly may they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Dismiss us in thy care. Send us forth with thy grace and strength. And Father, we do thank you that we live in a nation where we can stand here and proclaim these truths without reprisal. We thank you for how you have providentially intervened in our nation throughout its history. And we thank you for what we have today. We thank you for how things have overturned some within the last few weeks to the good. We pray that you would open hearts that are blinded to the truth of thy word about these matters. May we hold forth that truth. It's a light that shines brightly in a dark world. May we point them to thee. Send us forth in thy power and in thy grace and strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.